Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. This descent into decrepitude is going to be long and agonizing. Mackey and Judd. It's going to be absolutely horrific to watch. On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's waste no time. Darren Doogie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News and the Scoop Podcast. 1500ESPN.com is a good place to find it. Subscribe anywhere you would uh, generally find podcasts. What's going on, Dukes? Good morning, gentlemen. Hello. Hi, Dave. Hi, Doogie. Good to see you, boys. Um, so let's start here. There was a blogger for Canis Hoopus that sent out a series of tweets over the weekend. Judd and I brought this up earlier in the week on our show, heavily couching the fact that this has not been confirmed. We have not been able to confirm it, but it's still a hilarious story if it's true that Tom Thibodeau and Scott Layden got into some kind of a shouting match inside the Wolves facility downtown and that Tom Thibodeau threw a computer monitor through a glass door or glass window of some kind and we're thinking like that must be like an old Macintosh box like these these flimsy screens that we have now that wouldn't break a window how hard would you have to throw it but anyways it just kind of spoke to all the other stories we're hearing about whether it's from you reporting um, just strife inside the organization so what can you confirm what do you know what do you know uh, is happening over at the Wolves facility well here's what I can do I can shoot down that rumor Okay. That is bogus. That did not happen. That is BS. And hey, I've spoken for weeks with you guys on my podcast, on TV, about the uneasiness, the angst, a lot of stuff going on in Mayo Clinic Square. But to suggest that that happened, that Tibbs shattered glass, is ridiculous. It's just stupid. Did he try to shatter glass? No. It's just it's okay. dumb. <laughs> what What does this say, though, about this about this potential story not being true now? being leaked out though because to me it's interesting that we don't think that the person that phil referred to certainly made up the story so to me it does talk about the strife of some people behind the scenes at target center not exactly being fans of tibbs and potentially trying to make him look as bad as possible if given the opportunity sure i mean i think that does exist you're right and we've talked about that right that there are seemingly some people that have no problem sharing stories that seemingly are for the reason to make Tibbs look like a fool, look like a buffoon. So, yeah, I mean, that speaks to the uneasiness, the angst. Yes, I don't believe this blogger, and he sent me a DM. We went back and forth via DM on Twitter. You know, I mean, he just doesn't throw stuff out there. Mm -hmm. You know, now, hey, in his world, he's never been retweeted as many times as he was with that tweet. You know, I mean, he got a lot of attention with that tweet. So for his brand, I guess it worked out okay. 
But I don't think he just made it up out of thin air. I do think somebody volunteered information to him. I just don't know if he vetted it out. In fact, I'm positive he just didn't vet it out because it did not happen. But yes, seemingly there are people. I mean, there's a divide over there, whether it's the front office, whether it's the business side, the marketing side, the coaching staff. How does it get fixed? Heck, in the locker room. I mean, there is a belief there is a divide. Tibbs, Chicago guys. And the other guys. How does it get fixed? Well, hold on. Let me, let me preface well, it by saying great great leadership doesn't lead to this many divides, right? So does that go up to Glenn? Is it, is it a, I mean, obviously it's a Glenn-Tom Thibodeau combination that there's just something off about the whole organization, even though they won 47 games despite some of these things. So, like, how does this get fixed? Does it Can it get fixed with Tom Thibodeau? I mean, adults talk. I mean, stop text messaging. Stop emailing. Have real adult conversations. But see, that's part of the problem. I mean, Tibbs alienates himself. I mean, Tibbs has this massive office. I mean, think about it. When they built Mayo Clinic Square, I can promise you, Flip Saunders made sure the executive office on the second floor was enormous. Tibbs had a wall knocked down, made it even bigger. So it's this huge office. I can bet you can count on one hand how many individuals in that organization have been in that office. He doesn't go to the other side very often just to converse, and it's my opinion, when you are the president, maybe it's different if you're just the head coach, and there's a lofty bar. I mean, you think about Flip, who was the ultimate people person. He knew everybody's name in the organization, even if he wasn't friends with them. He would fake it, just, you know, that's who he was. Mm -hmm. Tibbs is the complete opposite. But I do think when you've got the title of president of operations, you need to get to know some people. It's a 30,000-foot big boy job. Like, it's not a go-hide-in-the-corner-and-watch-film-all-day job. It's so, Dukes, do you think that Tibbs has an interest or is going to take steps? I mean, now would be the time to repair things or fix them. It's not, you know, starting a training camp. So do you think he has a desire or a knowledge that to have this organization potentially be as successful as it possibly can, that things need to be fixed? Or is this all Glenn trying to talk to Tom and Tom being told things by people and Tom saying, no, I just do things my way and really don't care what you think? I mean, this would be pure speculation because it's not like Tibbs is an open book. I mean, I've always said this, too. I mean, Tibbs doesn't have a relationship really with anybody in the media. I mean, maybe Frank Isola of the New York Daily News, maybe a couple of their national guys to a degree. I mean, many of us have his cell phone number, but it's not like he's texting us back all the time. I don't. Well, if you want it, I'll share it with you. I'd like a Tibbs cell phone. So, I mean, at least we're all on an even playing ground. It's not like Tibbs has media favorites. You know, he just, he, you know, puts up a wall. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I mean, it would be my speculation that I would hope he would attempt to fix some of those relationships. But I don't know. I mean, he's 60 years old. Do you all of a sudden change who you are as a 60-year-old? And, oh, by the way, in his world, he looks at it as, hey, we just won 47 games. The franchise went back to the playoffs for the first time in 14 years. Jimmy Butler missed, what, 23, 24 games, 17 with the knee injury. Mm -hmm. Then he missed a handful of games earlier in the year. Jeff Teague missed games. Hey, if we don't have those injuries, we are as high as a three seed. We win over 50 games. Whether that's true or not, I'm sure that's what he's thinking. So I'm sure he's thinking, why do I need to change anything? We win. I know how to win. I won in Chicago. And now I've won here. Why do I need to change? Yeah, I think I think yeah, you can get to the playoffs doing it this way. But I think if you're talking about long term, sustainable organizational success, there's got to be a cohesion. It can't just be teams against the world. Mm-hmm. It can't be. And what that's I told what the you, president title. The is for. owner Glenn Taylor on multiple occasions in season went to Tibbs 
to pretty much try to figure out why do you act the way you do. More so about his <laughs> sideline demeanor. I mean, Glenn is sitting I right there courtside. Amazing. I love that question, though. So, Tom, why would you say you are the way that you are? But then you think about Glenn. Like, Glenn, what were you thinking when you hired Tibbs two years ago? Like, you had to know, right? You talked to Jerry Reinsdorf, the Bulls' owner. You did your homework. Like, who'd you think you were getting? That's who Tibbs is. That's who he was in Chicago. That's his history. Mm. You think all of a sudden he was going to change who he is when he came here at 58 years old? So, well, and you, yeah, I mean, and, and you, it's Glenn, you said, it's Tibbs. I mean, there's a lot of people at fault. You said it was the search firm that recommended the Corn oh, yeah. that he do both jobs, correct? Yeah, well, that was specifically not the one idea. guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, Glenn was open-minded to it, but yes, my understanding is it was Jed Hughes of Corn Ferry who pushed that forward. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, Doogie's with us. It's our weekly scoop segment with him. Twin stuff. Uh, they just lost their starting catcher for the rest of the year, Jason Castro. Lance Lynn got shelled again yesterday. They're still hanging in there. They're not... I mean, the fact that they've had all these things go wrong and they're only a couple games under five hundred is a good sign for them. But what are you hearing about Twins? Are they going to go after a catcher? How long is the leash on Lance Lynn? Well, I'm about to tape a conversation with Rob Antony, Twins Assistant General Manager for the Scoop Podcast. I'm actually doing that right when I'm done with you guys. So I'll get... A little bit more insight, but right now my sense is they will roll with Wilson and Mitch Garver, but I do think eventually they make a move. It also might make sense to sign a guy like Miguel Montero or somebody else that's available that can go to AAA, and if that particular player performs well, then maybe you swap that player with Wilson. But it's not like Mitch Garver is a young guy. So I guess we now need to see what Mitch is capable of. What is he, 27? Yeah, it's time to go. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's time to go. It's now or never. So, you know, I think they'll roll with Garver as the number one guy for, for a while. But it would not surprise me if, if they end up acquiring somebody. I was in contact with somebody close to Blake Swihart of the Boston Red Sox, who's an afterthought. I mean, he's on the 25-man roster, but he barely plays. He's the third catcher. They've actually had him play a little outfield. He gets a few at-bats as a DH, but... It's time for Dave Dombrowski to make a move there. It's unfair to the player. For what it's worth, he also grew up in New Mexico like Garver, so there is a relationship there. So if the Twins wanted to go get Blake Swihart, they could. I know that the Swihart camp would love to come to Minnesota. Heck, they would love to go anywhere because he's not playing in Boston. So maybe it's a guy like that. You know, I don't think at this point they're making a move for the Marlins catcher or, you know, the A's catcher, Lucroy was really good. Not that Oakland is trading him right now. So I don't think they have this monster move on the horizon. But I do think eventually they do make a move for some catcher. Viking scoopage. What you got for us? B-Rob took a sizable pay cut. The numbers will come out on the NFLPA website, whether it's later today or tomorrow. Maybe it's early next week. But he's not coming back at $3.2 million. That was the base salary for, for his 2018 contract. So he's coming back at less than that. I think it's a sizable pay cut. So maybe half. You're 12, correct Maybe for him? lower than that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, he just he didn't have much leverage. Yeah. He didn't want to go anywhere else, and the Vikings were in a position, hey, take it or leave it. And he's made money, you know. Oh, yeah, no, he's yeah, he's he's fine on the financial front. Then, you know, they signed David Perry, the former Stanford kid, the defensive tackle who started what 32 games for the Colts in 2015 and 2016. I actually thought they might have some interest in local guy, mm-hmm. Minneapolis's own former Gopher, Rashid Hageman, but no, actually ran into Hageman. When I was with Paige Beckers the other day at this workout at Game Face Training in the North Metro, Hageman said no. He's got some interest from another NFC team, another AFC team. He worked out for the Patriots last week. So I think Hageman signs pretty quick here. But I thought the Vikings in the market for defensive tackle, you know, why not go after Hageman? I mean, heck, Perry's got a little bit of a questionable background. 
I mean, Hageman's in phenomenal physical shape. If you put him through a workout, he'll kick some butt. You know, but there are some red flags there off off the field. But hey, so does Perry. So I thought the Vikings might reach out on Hageman, but they never yeah. did. Uh, you also have info on uh, Gopher baseball hosting a regional potentially, and Lindsey Whalen's recruiting here in her first couple months as Gopher women's coach. Sure, on the former on Gophers baseball. I mean, they still need to finish strong here this weekend at Rutgers. You know, the Big Ten tournament, so they ne- still need to do some work to well, be in ran. a position to 20, be one right? of those. They're top twenty. Yeah, in the they country. are. Yeah, I mean, there's like seven different polls. I think Baseball America's got them as high as 12 or 13. That's the poll I go to. It's one of the best, but that's subjective. It's one of the best teams in John Anderson's history. Absolutely. Really. Yeah, I mean, to get to a Super Regional, I mean, this is as good a chance as they've had in a really, really long time. But it'll come down to the bid. So at this point, I was told it's 50-50 or less that the Gophers' bid right now isn't real strong on that front. But hey, if they lose a few games here the rest of the way, it's a moot point. But if they are in a position to host a Regional... I sure hope they reconsider the strength of their bid because it would be unfair, at least in my opinion, to not have the Gophers if they're able to. It would be unfair if they don't end up hosting yeah, and, a regional. And how often is this opportunity going to present rare. itself, right? Maybe yeah, never rare. again for John Anderson. Yeah. Correct. Recruiting for and the I'm, Gophers? Yeah. Women, mm-hmm. Paige Beckers, sophomore from Hopkins High School. I mean, when it's all said and done, Paige Beckers may go down in history as, I mean, this is strong. I mean, best might be a little over wow. the top, but one of the three or four best girls high school basketball players ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, heck, she played a lot as as an eighth grader on the varsity. So you think about what she did as an eighth grader, then ninth grader, then this past year as a tenth grader, then these next two years, eleventh grade and twelfth grade. Everybody in the country already wants her. I mean, Gino R.E.M. of UConn has been to town multiple times in the last year. Like UConn wants her badly. Notre Dame wants her badly. South Carolina wants her badly. Those are the premier women's college basketball programs. Now, pre-Lindsey Whalen, I would have told you Marlene Stallings had zero chance. Like, no chance whatsoever. With Lindsey, there's a chance. I mean, talking to Paige, I mean, her face lit up. I mean, she's got this pair of shoes that is autographed by Lindsey. She's already been in contact with Lindsey. She plans on visiting the new facilities in the very near future. So the Gophers at least have a chance with Paige Beckers, which is... Which is really encouraging. And you know, Lindsay can tell her own story, too. I mean, Lindsay wasn't that highly recruited coming out of high school to college compared to this. Like, it wasn't like Gina Ariema was knocking on her door or a Pat Summit back in the early 2000s. But Lindsay can say, if your goal is to play professional basketball and make a lot of money for like 15 years when you're done, you're going to do that. If you come to Minnesota, like, don't think that that's going to prevent you from doing the things you want to do professionally. Now, tack on, maybe staying home. And maybe taking this program to where I took it 15 years ago, like there's a really awesome built-in pitch there for Lindsey Whalen. And oh, by the way, Lindsey Whalen point guard, Paige Becker's point guard. Interesting. Wild GM when Monday? Well, I mean, I told you last week I thought it might be as soon as no, Monday or Tuesday, but then they bring in Fenton for a and second it's interview. Fitzgerald's Fitzgerald back for in a day. second. Yeah. yeah, I continue to hear it's it's Paul Fenton's job to lose, and he wants the job. So if they make the offer to Fenton. He will say yes. Yeah. Doogie, thank you. Thanks, Good stuff. Dudes. All right, boys, take it easy. KSTP.com and also uh, 1500ESPN.com. Find his scoop podcast. Roy Smalley in about 12 or 15 minutes from now. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studio. Attention. Radio alert. Mackie and Judd now continue on 1500 ESPN. Oh, we just got an amazing tweet from uh, our friend Chris here. We'll do this later in the show. The ultimate fictional 25-man baseball roster. So it's a full roster and coaching staff this of is, all of like, yeah, like the like fictional movie characters. It's got entire bullpen. 
<laughs> it's got a starting rotation. This is yeah, this is fantastic. It's pretty amazing. Uh, all right, what stood out? Let's do a little scoop post game show here before we get to Roy Smalley. Yes. So Doogie debunking our. I'm so sad that the computer monitor didn't get thrown through a window. I was really hoping that was true because that's su- such a great story. It's still juicy though, Thibodeau, because it still means that there's people trying to undermine Tibbs yeah. with the Wolves. So so while the story's not true, what you can't discount is that there's people out there who don't like Tibbs to the point where they are willing to come up with created stories and try and leak them to get them publicized to make Tibbs look bad. That's a weird... That's an interesting dynamic. That's a doozy of a made-up story, though, because you it's can... It's over the top. The glass-shattering thing is one where you could just easily debunk it. Like, anyone who works in the organization could just debunk but it, then, right? But that's why, that's why I think the person that told uh, the guy who tweeted it in retrospect, then, that the glass didn't shatter to try and make it sound like, well, it just hit the glass. Because if it's glass shattering, that's a huge, that's like, oh, my God, someone could have got hurt by flying glass. So then they came back and they said, no, 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 no. The glass didn't shatter. Yeah. It just hit the glass and bounced off. It's still, it's very interesting that there would be enough discord there mm-hmm. for somebody to try and leak that story out and get that publicized. The best part, and Dookie's brought this up a few times throughout the season, that Glenn Taylor is just befuddled by Tom Thibodeau's personality, that he sat down with him a couple times. If you notice, um, early in the season, Tom Thibodeau would stand directly next to or in front of where Glenn Taylor and his wife sit at home games. And the last couple months of the season, he was making much more an effort to stand closer you to told me about the coach's line. Notice this. So he'll stand by yeah. the scores table instead. I think just to be 10 feet further away from Glenn when he's hollering and shouting. And, and I, would, I would point out too, and this is where Tom Thibodeau either has to show some more self-awareness or just be a better self-evaluator. Of all the great coaches in the NBA, how many of them look like he does on the sideline, just bellowing and not physically, I'm saying like bellowing and hollering and and lurking, these, right? These days, nobody, right? Correct. Back in the old days, they probably did. In college, there's a lot of them because yeah. you're just yelling at 19-year-olds. Sure, sure. but-, but in the NBA now... I can't think of one who looks like, and and not just for, let's say, one game or a quarter, 82 games. So I guess I would ask him, if unless you're saying that your style is far superior and innovative to all the other great coaches in the NBA, and they should start being more hands-on with their players while they're trying to run sets on the court. So unless you're saying that that's the case, maybe take a page from some of the other coaches. Greg Popovich <laughs> definitely raises his voice once in a while, but... He's chilling out on the bench, letting his players kind of run things, like trusting that his players can figure out how to run things. I mean, Phil Jackson barely called timeouts. That's extreme. And he had Kobe and MJ and Shaq, and it's just a different beast altogether. But he made a concerted effort while his team, especially in the regular season, was going through crisis on the court. Oh, it's a 15-2 run defensively. Most coaches would be like, timeout. And Phil Jackson would just sit there, and he would say, you guys are going to have to figure this out on your own at some point. I'm trying to think of, so who who would, if if you put together a a 2017-18 all-intensity coach team, and Tibbs is clearly one, I'm trying to figure out who would be two. Like, who do you even see that looks mildly PO'd on on a consistent basis? Because nobody, I don't think, Anybody to, to yells, league, my yells as much as Tibbs yells. I don't think it's even close. I'd have to go through my league pass catalog in my brain to like. I you don't even it's, you don't always notice it. Like when you're you notice it with him, obviously, yeah. to the point where they've had to alter boom mics. I mean, we had Matt Thomas on our show. He's the one of the radio voices of the Rockets. 
And he says to avoid FCC violations, they have to turn off their courtside boom microphone. You need the delay. So you can bleep out the F-bombs from Tibbs. But but the the delay only helps you once. That's the problem. <laughs> so uh, the other thing, too, from that scoop session, the Lindsey Whalen recruiting side, if she can start to land players that, what, what are you laughing at? Our caller before. Oh, okay. Who called her a sweetheart. Yeah. I still can't. Get past that oh, one. Oh, she's a sweetheart. I'm sure she's a sweetheart. It's like, yeah, Lindsey Whalen, the no. keep calling, keep being kind of sending, buddy. Call yeah. a great legendary women's basketball player a sweetheart. Um, if she's going to start to land big time recruits, it's not like there's 25 top notch women's college basketball programs. If you can start to get like two or three of those recruits, not that you're going to be on UConn's level, but. You know, there's like any given year, six to eight teams that dominate women's college basketball. There's the Louisville's, there's the Notre Dame's, there's um, used to be Tennessee, mm-hmm. UConn now. And so if you can land this sophomore from Hopkins, and all of a sudden now you got one of the 10 best players in the country, and you've built out the rest of your team, yeah, we're talking about what happened with, with Janelle McCarville and Lindsey Whalen and maybe even better players. I think th- this is going to be great. I've told, told you before, I've never been in my time following sports in this town, I have n- never been excited about this program before, and I think it's going to be fun now. Not even and 15 years ago? Be, uh, you know what, though? But but that was in the midst of the run. So, yes, I jumped on board. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying a hire is made, and sight unseen, uh, w- well before practices start, I'm actually th- thinking to myself, this is going to be fun. She's, I I'm think she's going to do a really good job. I really do. I don't for all the th- For all the stuff that she probably is going to have to learn on the job, I think she's going to step in and there's going to be an immediate respect there. And everything she's done, everything she's done, she's just won. Yeah. Like, there's never been one where you're like, yeah, that didn't work out very well. And, like, independent to the fact that I consider her a friend and I just want, like, my friend to do well, I think the product, like you're talking about, the product is something um, I know that I've got people in my friend and family circle that are like, "Let's, let's season tickets, even if we combine on season tickets. And that's definitely not something that was... Uttered very often the last 10 years for Gopher women's basketball. So should be pretty fun. Roy Smalley will join us. We'll talk twins with Roy when we come back to the TCL broadcast studios. This is where the magic starts. Mackie and Judd now continue. Showtime. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Now. Now. With former twins great turned FSN analyst Roy Smalley. All right. We're, uh, we'll get Roy here shortly. One of our favorite segments of the week. I want to ask him, well, we'll get some Frank Quillacy stories from him. And uh, he's been working with Justin Morneau in the broadcast booth as well. And that's been it's fantastic. a lot of fun so far. I love that, yes. Yeah, that's, I don't, do you think they'd ever go to a three-man booth? Because so, I think they're going to have play-by-play, whether it's Dick Bramer or if, if they hand it off at some point to somebody else. I think, I don't think Fox Sports North is going to be the first innovator to say, you know what, let's just put players in the booth, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Unless there's one with more like play-by-play broadcast chops. But I love I love the Morno, Smalley, you got the different generations, different yep. viewpoints. and, and Just going back and forth. Storytellers, yeah. The first time that I, I re- realized what a three-man booth for the Twins could be was the early uh, 2000s. I want to say it was uh, Dick and Bert, and they brought Carew in for a game. And so basically it just became uh, Bert and Rod to go, going back and forth, and it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Just the insight. And once again, it doesn't come down to are you polished, are you great, Are you? do you sound engaged? I mean, to me, that if you do, that's great. But I much prefer, do you tell me something I don't know? 
And crew and Bert going back and forth was really, really good. Yeah, either insight or stories. And sometimes, like, if you're Bert and you've just been doing it for 20 or 25 years, you've heard all the stories, and it's just not even really his fault. You just, you've told all your stories, and you're on TV for, well, 80 games now, but for a while, 140 or 150. Um, let me ask you this. We got an email from our guy, Dan Chang, loyal listener. Mm-hmm. And, I, and we were doing kind of a, a fun segment yesterday. You know, what lies would you tell the GMs in this town to get jobs? And one of the lies you said you would tell Jim Polat is, oh, we'll extend Joe Mauer's contract for sure. Yeah, and then, want him back for sure. Are you saying that you would not want Joe Mauer back at a highly reduced salary no, I next would. year? I would. It's just that I think that if, if you sat down, if you... You were to go to Jim right now for a potential GM job and talk to him about it. I think they'd be very curious what your plans for Joe are because, you know, Joe's been here for a long time and and I think the organization likes him a lot. But no, if Joe says I'll come back on a one year greatly reduced deal, I'd do it. Now, now would I play him as much? I don't know. I don't know that he's he's maybe the best defensive but first baseman. That's in the, the problem. Right now. But that's the thing when I watch. Lomo play first base, and then Joe, there's no comparison there. I go back to uh, the ball when Sano fell down against the Yankees and then hurled the ball across, and that was a tough play. It, it was Sano's fault, but I go back to that play. Joe picks that ball, I think. And on the uh, on the double play that they turned against the Angels on Sunday, which was third to first, and that was a tough throw, Joe had gone in for Morrison late in that game, and I contended there is no way that Lomo picks that ball, and Joe picked it. So, yeah, Joe, to me, the thing that he's got going for him right now in a huge way is he has turned himself into not just a good first baseman, he is a terrific first yeah, baseman. I mean, he obviously doesn't offer... I Like, I saw this this tweet was sent out by uh, Dustin Morris, the Twins communications director, that Joe Maurer had just passed Harmon Killebrew on the all-time Twins hit list, and Rod Carew is going to be... Now he's going to pass Rod Carew in, in career hits, so he's... I think he's fourth now or something. I can't remember where he is. But anyways, the re- the replies to that tweet were just so bleeping predictable. Right, but how many home runs yeah. did Killebrew have? It's like, okay, and, yeah, yes, sure, yeah. Harmon Killebrew is a better all-time hitter than Joe Maurer. Yeah. Because he hits for power, and like no one's arguing that. Like If you're going to take one... Now, Joe Maurer as just a pure on-base machine and batting average guy, okay, but like I'll take, I'll take Harmon Killebrew. But again, it's like people... You're mad at Joe Maurer for what he isn't, so much so that you can't appreciate what he is. And here's an example, and this is why I would bring him back next year if I had to make the decision right now. I would for sure bring him back next year. Since the beginning of 2017, mm-hmm. only 11 hitters have a higher on-base percentage than Joe does. Now, a lot of those hitters, like Aaron Judge and Mike Trout and uh, Bryce Harper, are also home run hitters. Yeah, he's not those So, guys. like, no one is saying that he's on the exact level as those guys, but... The fact that he is 12th in the league since yes. the beginning of last year in on-base percentage, that's a really, really valuable Joe, thing to have in your lineup. Joe got paid, and then Joe got hurt. And I, I think there's a large portion of the Twins fan base that will never get past that. And w- would I bring back Joe at a pretty good salary? Absolutely not. But if Joe would come back on a one- or two-year de- deal, and basically you said, I think that this is going to be it, I would do it, yeah. Because at first base he's he's magnificent. He's great. He's turned he has turned himself into, and that was my my biggest disappointment was his first year at first base. Phil, I thought to myself he's not that good. Now he wasn't a disaster, but catching wise he was so damn good. And really the last two years he has turned himself into a Gold Glove first base baseman. And watch 
Morrison is not absolutely yep. awful, but when you watch the difference between mm-hmm. those two, it's a sizable gap. It is, and I think if you're looking for sort of sneaky reasons why the Twins were so much better last year compared to the year before, first of all, putting Byron Buxton in center field for all those games, that saved so many runs. Joe Maurer saved a lot of runs with his glove, picking plays at first base, Polanco right? throws in particular last year, I thought. Yes, exactly. All right, let's get to our friend Roy Smalley here, Fox Sports North. Um, Roy, we wanted, We were just talking a couple minutes ago. We love the Morno Smalley booth, and we're wondering from your perspective, what's it been like working with Justin Morno and, and uh, even just like doing games as a color commentator a lot over the past few years? Well, I like it. I, I mean, I I, I like uh, doing games uh, a lot because I, I feel like there's stuff in every ball game. You know, Twins win or lose, there's stuff in every ball game that uh, you can talk about that uh, help gives people a you know better understanding of the game. And and I've always felt like if the you know, the people that don't like baseball, if they, if they, if they, the more you know about, the, the more you like it. I just, I'd like more people to love it the way I do. So I, I like doing that, and and uh, the times with Justin have been really fun, and 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 I think have been have been pretty good. I mean, when you mm-hmm. have when you have two guys in there, um, you can, you know, you can't uh, think of everything or. Um, or say everything all at once, and having two guys that uh, I think are pretty knowledgeable about the game playing off of each other and, and uh, corroborating or saying saying things in different ways, uh, saying you know what we're seeing and the same thing, but saying it a little different ways. I I, I think can be uh, can be pretty good. And Roy, my my big big thing is is I, I feel like I know the sport, but certainly not like you do or Justin does. And so when I sit down to watch a game, my thing is tell me something I don't know. And I think when you've got two guys going back and forth like that, you, you guys inevitably start to talk about subjects and or pitch sequences that I don't know. And that that to me, and I, I get that there's some folks that like the periphery stuff, but that to me is the most important thing is inform me about something that when I sat down to watch this game, I wasn't even thinking about. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, I think that's right, and and um, you know when you when you watch a game, I think with um, someone that that knows a, a lot about it, um, I think you start to get an appreciation for you know what guys are trying to do and and uh, uh, what comes up in a ball game that you know obviously you wouldn't be you wouldn't be thinking about uh, otherwise, and and I just think it makes that uh, you know that experience. Uh, better at least it does it, it does for many people you know some people you know not so much so they but um I, I think for the majority of people I, I think they'd like to know more about the game in real time yeah what's your all right what's your lance lynn i, I think a really underrated you know facet of being successful in april and may is the fact that you had just spent ideally 45 days ramping up in spring training and a lot of these pitchers who signed late, and you saw Greg Holland couldn't throw a strike yesterday either, and he missed spring training. I know, I know that they're putting in work in bullpen sessions, but uh, there's been a lot of these guys who sat out and didn't have a contract, and they didn't get to go through a traditional spring training. And if you're a pitcher and you don't get to face major league hitters for a month leading up, um, that's my theory on why a lot of these guys, including Lance Lynn, are, are struggling. What do you see when you watch Lance Lynn? I think it's exactly uh, as you say, uh, Holland. Uh, Alex Cobb, uh, Lance, uh, Lynn, every 
you know, the guys that didn't have uh, spring training are are struggling, and you know, spring training is primarily for pitchers anyway. But players are virtually ready in two two and a half weeks, and and then just you know, kind of put in time. You just kind of wait until you know until spring training breaks and you get the season started. And uh, if, if pitchers don't have that, uh, they can get off to these you know, these slower starts because they didn't have the spring training. And then it gets in their heads, right? So it's almost always a mechanics thing with Lance Lynn. It looks like he's uh, like he is uh, flying open a, a little bit. He hasn't found a consistent uh, delivery. And I say flying open. His front side's opening, you know, early. And, and as I said on the broadcast um, yesterday, when your when your front shoulder flies open, two things happen. You either leave it you know, up and in to a right-hander, you know, up and away to a left-hander, or you pull it with you, trying to your arm trying to catch up, and you throw it in the, you know, if a right-hander, right-hander sit, and you throw it in the other, in the left-handed batter's box, you know, I mean, and that's what we're seeing. Um, and Justin made an interesting point yesterday, I thought, he said he doesn't, he, he doesn't think that Lance Lynn's figured out what his out pitch is. Things are better. He's throwing um, more strikes early, uh, but then he's getting back to three and two and walking people, after he gets a strike one or strike two count, and I think Justin's right about that, but I but I also think it's hard to know what your out pitch is when you're not really sure where you're throwing. You know that you can throw where you want to. So I think spring training was important. It gets in if they if they break with bad mechanics, uh, it gets in their heads. I mean, you can imagine going out there facing big league pitchers and and thinking about what your bullpen was, and I've got to keep my shoulder in, or I've got to do this or that, and. Pretty soon, your um, your mind is uh, buzzing, and and uh, I, I just think that being off schedule like that's really uh, really has affected these guys. Hey, Roy, how, how tough is that too? When when you uh, you know hit the market and and you expect to sign a long term deal probably and get paid, and then you sit out there for, for a long time and it comes and you basically miss spring training, and now you, you get a you know one or two teams offer you a short term de- deal. I I would think that there's a mental aspect here as well for him, where where his perception of what his life and professional career were going to be have run uh, completely counter to what what the reality of his 2018 is yeah i don't think that uh, you can overstate um well i don't know how to say it or or uh, underestimate maybe uh what psychology does even on you know to a player even a veteran player it just i just don't think that uh it anybody can escape it and and i think you make a really good point if he's going to go out and be a free agent sign a three or four uh year uh, life-changing, uh, life-completing <laughs> kind of kind of deal, and then it doesn't happen. He signs uh, a one-year deal, or, or you go out and you sign a big contract, and and then you're not you're not pitching well uh, either way, whether it's a one-year deal or a long term, and you put a lot of pressure on yourself trying to live up to it. In Lance Lynn's case, it's got to be in the back of his mind. That, you know, boy, it was tough just getting a deal. You know, when I thought I was going to get a big one, I just got a one-year deal. Now I've got to pitch. I've got to go through this again. And you know, next offseason, I've got to pitch well. And it it it, it can grind away at you. What What was the uh, toughest time in your career, and how, how much did did that period of time impact you on the field? Well, you know, I uh, I, I I lucked out. I think uh, the toughest time for me, uh, you know, I I went to New York. Uh, I signed a big contract with Calvin Griffith, which was kind of the death knell for me in terms of being with the Twins. It, 
you know, it was the largest contract that uh, Calvin had ever, had ever given anybody, which meant I wasn't going to be there for very much longer. And he traded me to the, to the Yankees, and and going to the Yankees from the Twins was a was a was a, was tough. It was a it was an adjustment, but um, I had two pretty good years there. And then the the third year, a lot of uh, weird uh, George Steinbrenner things were going on on the team. And um, my uh, wife had uh, given birth to our twin daughters, and my wife was had a stroke as a result of that, and was very ill. And and I ended up wanting to get out of New York, and I got traded to the you know, White Sox right before I came back here to the Twins. And and that year was physically, was 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 so psychologically stressful, I, I think, that, that uh, physically it was it was difficult. So I, I that's the only year that I can that I can say that you know it, it wasn't it wasn't nearly so much baseball uh, related. I handled um, I handled the contract phase with Calvin Griffith. Okay, I had some good years. Uh, I handled the, the New York thing. I think okay had had good years there and had you know had had a good time uh, for for a while, and then was able to come back here and, and finish up my career with the World Series win. So everything went. You know, went pretty well for me in just that one year in 1984 when when there were some external things that were were pretty difficult. Yeah. Hey Roy, last thing before we uh, say goodbye for the week, I know I, I don't believe you played for Frank Quillacy, but just being around the organization, any uh, good Frank Quillacy anecdotes or stories you can share with our audience? You know, I didn't play for Frank, I uh, but uh, you're right, I was around him. You know, you couldn't help but be around Frank. He was a, he was a Twins guy, and and he was one of the great ambassadors the game has ever known, and more importantly, one of the best guys, one of the most wonderful human beings, and that that I, I've ever met. And and that's you can that's overused those kinds of those kinds of uh, statements, but just, just not in Frank's case. He was one of the best people I've ever known. Yeah. All right, Roy. Good stuff, man. Thanks, we'll Roy. see you next week. See you guys. Roy Smalley, Fox Sports North. Always great stuff. Yep. We still have Matthew. Matthew Collar has requested that we mock sometime. Are you surprised hour. by that? Dave found a few of them. There's one in particular that really stands out that I'm really excited about, and I think you know which one. Dave's smiling. Collar mocks in his sleep. I didn't know that the, the versatility of this mock. Oh, this mock-er. really? Yeah. All right. Let's just say that. There's a mocker you thought was just a football mocker? Yeah. Oh, no. Really? <laughs> wow. That'll be in the noon hour. Why don't you talk about prime mortgage lending for a second? I, I will indeed. If you're considering your options when it comes to mortgage companies, I want to make a suggestion right now. My friends at Prime and Kent McCullough. That's because this isn't about simply selling you on something, folks. Prime wants to earn your trust first. In fact, they would rather earn that trust than sell you a loan. Yes, I said that correctly. They would rather earn your trust than actually sell you a loan. That means while Prime would love to have you as a client, what they want to do is meet with you first. They want to sit down. They want to explain their plan, and then the decision is up to you. That's what Prime is all about. It's what they believe in. It's about two very important things. It's about teamwork. It's about collaboration. Those are things that are important in all walks of life. They're important in sports. They're important in business. They're important if you are trying to find a mortgage, and if you're shopping for one, you can count on Prime to give you the sound advice and straight answers that you need. Prime wants to take some of the mystery out of the mortgage process for you. Did you know they may be able to put together a program that can pay your closing cost? Prime can do that. Not just include them in your loan, but actually pay them for you. And all you have to do to get all of this is go and check out their website right now, goprimewithkent.com. That's goprimewithkent, K-E-N-T.com. Collar joins Mackie and Judd next.
Bill Mackey. You called him the little guy. I don't know why you have to pick on his physical appearance. Yeah. I don't. He's a good-looking guy. Judd Zolgad. Grumpy SOB. Mm-hmm. He's a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves him. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Ever dream of playing a little football at U.S. Bank Stadium? Now is the chance. Sign your team up to participate in United Health Group's Touch of Football Flag Football Tournament Saturday, September 8th. Flag football teams will take over the stadium for this one-day six-on-six tournament. All to raise money for the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Team spots are limited and selling out very fast, so get signed up now. Details at 1500ASPN.com. Keyword events. Thank you, Dave. Emailer Mark. Mauer. LOL. Actually, it's Mauer. Paragraph space. LOL. Paragraph space. Just for effect. He has average... 10 home runs, 65 runs, and 60 RBI per year. That's his average year over year in his career. LMAO, which Ooh. is laugh my ass. Oh, wow. That's some, that's some aggressive yeah. stuff right there. Get yep. off his jock. Yeah, I like that one. Get off his jock, Na- you guys. 99% of the people I hang out with make fun of Slappy. <laughs> yep. Yep. Get well, Mark, off his First of all, you need new friends, Mark. Get but... off his jock. <laughs> quit being quit sucking up like Sid does to players, okay? Joe Mauer doesn't need Man. your Joe Mauer doesn't need your sympathy or your fandom, no. Phil Mackey. No. Or Judd. It's pretty funny. Um You know what? You're never going to c- convince those people any different. No, it's weird. So you're just it's... never going to convince them. You're they're never going to they're never going to get to the day Mauer his number's going to be retired. He's going to have a number seven gate at Target Field. And at no point in time, as those things are unfolding, I, yeah. are people like Mark going to say, I wonder if I should go back and look at that a little closer? Right. And I get it. Like, it's kind of, you know, Collar's hanging out here. He'll be with us uh, to talk whatever Collar wants to talk about in seven minutes. But Football. one thing we talk about with quarterbacks is the only thing people care about are the fantasy stats. Well, if, if that's the case, Andy Dalton's a better quarterback than uh, John Elway. Because, well, he's got more touchdown passes, right? Mm-hmm. Not that RBIs and runs are irrelevant. They're definitely they're definitely like peripheral measurements of productivity. But in general, if you're getting on base at a 40% clip and you're not scoring and or driving in runs at a high rate, yes. it's not your fault. Well, and you, could, and you could make a case, I guess, that the criticism of Maurer as a first baseman can be somewhat justified by the fact that the stats didn't pay off. But you cannot make a case against Joe as a catcher. No. It's one of the greatest, if not the greatest, it's one of the greatest resumes put together by a catcher. There's no arguing it. Yeah, I mean, he honestly, he would be better off in some ways, just from a resume and perception standpoint, if, like Kirby Puckett, he woke up one morning and couldn't see out of one eye. And, well, Joe Maurer's done at 31, right? If the last concussion, if the concussion that he suffered when when he finally missed extended time against the Mets, if he had said, I'm just done, I can't play, I Mm -hmm. can't see straight, I'm done, the narrative of Joe Maurer now would be entirely different, and I think it would now be sympathetic. I really do. I think we, we would have said as a catcher he was fantastic, and it's really a shame that his career was cut short. By concussions. And it's not sympathetic because this is this goes back to the, the labeling of bilateral leg. If they literally just would have called it, oh, his knee still hurts because of surgery. Oh, okay. Instead it was, um, we're not really sure exactly what it is, so we'll just make this weird phrase up and throw him under the bus. And then if you're him, to not come out and say, all right, yes, this is ridiculous. My, my knees are bad. Yes. Or whatever. My back hurts. 
just for fun, the free agent first baseman list, if you're looking for replacements. Now, Logan Morrison, technically, he could be under contract for next year. You could put him at first base. Not in love with his defense. Matt Adams is probably the prime name on this list. He's He's been with three teams the last three years. He popped up with the Cardinals a few years ago. He's like one of those 19th round picks that because the Cardinals are magic and they can just produce players out of thin air. Uh, having a career year in Washington, but you're going to pay a premium number if he continues this for a guy who's been a journeyman. He's 30 years old. Otherwise, it's Lucas Duda, who's 32. Matt. Wow, Lucas Duda's been around forever. It's old Adrian Gonzalez. No, that's not going to work. And uh, Pedro Alvarez, who was once highly touted and now just kind of bosses around. Is that correct? I don't know who he's Pedro with now. Alvarez at he one was time? Pirates for a while. He was Baltimore for a while. I don't know who he's with right now. But that's your list. I, I'll take the guy who's 12th in on base percentage the last two years for. If he wants to play for far less than $23 million, I think it's kind of a no-brainer. Nah, don't bring him back. No way. Get new friends, Mark. Email to Mark. Hang out with a L- couple L- people. LOL to that, like to that suggestion, <laughs> Phil Mackey. Uh, Kyler's going to come in here. We can talk football. He has demanded that we mock. And uh, we found an amazing Throwback Thursday fictional baseball characters list that we have to get to later, too. Mackey and Judd from the TCL Broadcast.